Hello, everybody, and welcome to our next episode of Staying Fit ODAT. My name is Migs, and I'm going to be your host. ODAT is an acronym I first heard in the rooms of AA, standing for one day at a time, and it obviously didn't take long to realize it applies to everyday life for everybody. Today's guest on the show is going to be Ryan. Ryan I just met about a month ago, and Ryan is doing something very similar to what we're doing here at Staying Fit ODAT, except he's doing it in a CrossFit box. He is also spreading awareness for um, addiction and substance abuse uh, because just like our last guest, he also was struck when the addiction hit his family a little too hard. So check out this episode here with Ryan, which is also happy to say the first episode recorded live uh, face to face. So there was a lot of fun there. And definitely happy to share this episode with you guys. So tune in, enjoy, and check out the end of the episode to find out how you can continue following in the community directly as well. Welcome on the episode. Thank you so much for being with us this afternoon, this morning, this evening. I guess it depends on where in the world you are listening today, but uh, thanks for being with us today, Ryan. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Ryan, uh, first, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Just tell us who you are and where you're from. Uh, So my name is Ryan Beyer. Uh, I am a Skipback, Pennsylvania native. Um, in southeastern PA, and um, I am the co-founder and CEO of Sweat for Sobriety, a, uh, a nonprofit that offers free hour-long fitness classes to those in recovery from drugs and alcohol and mental health, and we also offer a peer-led group recovery meeting afterwards um, to kind of reflect on uh, what everyone's going through. Awesome, and uh, we're definitely going to talk more about that um, as well, for anybody who's not familiar with Skipback, we're pretty much in the sticks, somewhere between the Lehigh Valley and Philadelphia. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, anyway, as Ryan mentioned, uh, today's episode is going to be, uh, I guess we'll just title it Sweat for Sobriety. Um, as a lot of you know, a lot of these episodes, or I shouldn't even say a lot, every one of these episodes are unscripted. Um, all we do is just kind of talk a little bit about a little bit of a backstory just to kind of have an idea where we're going to go, but nothing is written down, um, at all. Today is also a really cool concept because today is the first episode we are ever doing live. So pardon me with any audio issues, any echoing. We are right here in the box today. The box is the booth. The booth is the box. We're getting it in. Um, we're getting it in after we got it in which usually we like to talk about our guest's last physical activity. So um, today, Ryan's last physical activity was him leading a wad here at his uh, CrossFit gym uh, for Sweat for Sobriety, um, which I was really, really uh, privileged to be able to show up and do this workout with them today. Um, But I'm not a CrossFit guy, so I'm not going to try and pretend I know all of the lingo. I just like to do the workout. So Ryan, why don't you tell our listeners what we did today? Absolutely. So first to clarify, I just want to give credit where credit's due. Um, we operate uh, Sweat for Sobriety out of CrossFit Rage, um, owned by a guy named Jordan Troyan. He's a CrossFit Games athlete, um, super awesome guy, donates his equipment, his facility. You know, he, he doesn't, uh, you know, he, he, he's pretty good to us. So I just want to give credit where credit's due. With that said, the workout today was for strength. We had five sets of six front squats, uh, supersetted with five sets of eight dumbbell bench press. We do that for first half of the hour, um, really build some strength in that in that aspect. And then we get into the wide, which was a 16-minute AMRAP. For those of you who don't understand what an AMRAP is, it's, it stands for as many rounds as possible. And uh, the rounds were deadlift, burpee, box jumps, and calories on the assault bike. And each round you go up two repetitions. So we started off with two reps of deadlift, two reps of burpee box jumps, two two reps or rather two calories on the bike. And then you go back up to four deadlifts, four burpees, four calories on the bike, six, eight, 10, so on and so forth for 16 minutes. And you see where you can get to. Absolutely. Yeah. And you, uh, you, you try and push yourself, which, um, 
a lot of you as well, if you're in the ODAT page, you can see I had uh, my phone popped up in my um, in my little box as well. I recorded um, my AMRAP, and like he said, you just keep going until until you uh, until you run out of time. I think for mine, we got up to I think I got one or two burpees done on my 14th round. Um, but a, a lot of uh, a lot of savages in here, a, a lot of really really strong beasts, and it was it was a lot of fun. Um, got the sweat through. And then it's really cool because uh, we had a meeting afterwards, which we're gonna go ahead and come back to that um, in a little while towards the end of the episode as well. And we're gonna we're gonna really talk about what sweat for sobriety does. Um, but this wouldn't be anything if we didn't talk about why why Ryan is here. Um, so with a lot of our guests, um, there's only been a couple guests who have themselves not been the addict, who themselves have uh, not been the person dealing with the addiction. Um, but it is really, really important to get all different points of views, whether it be uh, the counselor who is helping the addict, whether it be, um, you, you know, any different point of view. And today we just have another point of view. And today we have a brother. Uh, we have a brother of an addict um, who is just going to gonna share their story. Um, before we learn about your brother, Austin, though, I want you to Tell us uh, a little bit about your childhood. You know, I always tell everybody to tell us um, about their life when things were quote unquote normal, because that's the term we use here in uh, recovery. So tell us about life up until 2013 for you. Um, absolutely. So like I said, I'm a skip back native, uh, skip back Collegeville. Um, Valley Forge is, is one of the more well-known uh, landmarks in, in our area. So that's where I'm from, born and raised. Um, I have, you know, Austin's my only brother. Uh, parents got divorced when I was five. My brother was one. And I say that and I set that stage because it was a pretty ugly divorce. It took my parents seven years um, to get divorced, you know, to finalize the divorce. And it was very, very ugly. And that framed a an environment that was not super conducive to to growing up in. Um, and I'm a big advocate. I mean, growing up, I've always thought that someone somewhere has it worse than me. Um, so I always kind of felt guilty for for feeling sorry for myself or feeling bad for myself, given my situation. Uh, I'd rather just find a way to push through. But um, with that said, I mean, being an adult now and understanding what uh, you know, what goes on in that, um, you know, it really just, uh, it paints an environment that's, that's hectic and chaotic and something that, um, you know, kind of leads to what may turn out to be someone's future. So, um, so parents split, uh, sorry, excuse me. I'm, I'm just trying to navigate everything in my head. Um, parents split when I was younger, um, but other than that, I mean, we had a pretty decent childhood, you know, we never really needed anything. It's not like we went without clothes on our backs or food in our bellies. Um, parents definitely worked hard. Um, but there was always, you know, the underlying tension and, and aggression from parent to parent. And that was, uh, that really manifested in each one of the parents in different ways, um, uh, which kind of translated to the kids. So, um, so it's it sounds like you didn't you didn't have the the lifestyle where you had the newest and flashiest things. Um, it doesn't sound like all the kids in the neighborhood were necessarily looking up to your lifestyle, but it also sounds like you never had to worry about where your next meal was coming from, or if you were going to be warm when you went to bed, or if you were going to have clothes for school the next morning either. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And I mean, I remember you know some some years better than others. Uh, I remember one year my school um, gave. Uh, Christmas presents for us to to open up underneath the the, the tree or a, a Thanksgiving turkey, you know. And I wasn't the we weren't the only family that that had that um, happen for, and and thankfully so. But the um, but yeah, no, we weren't we weren't in in poverty or or in in, in any super dire situation. Completely understandable. Um, now I know uh, after. After your high school years, and I'll let you talk a little bit more about when this happened. Um, but for the next few seconds, um, I just want to—I just want to take a second, and this is honor in honor of you, and in honor of 
um, all of our fall, fallen soldiers, all of the, the sick and suffering um, for everybody. Um, I would just like to take the, the next uh, 10 seconds or so and just give a moment of silence um, for the sick and suffering and all of our veterans out there. Thank you. Now, the reason for that, um, Ryan is also a military veteran. So we are getting closer into him sharing the story and, and the main reason that we are here. Um, but again, I, I definitely want to thank Ryan for his service, um, supporting this country. You know, without without people like him, no matter which way you look on the politics, and I'm definitely not going to make this political, but no matter which way you look at it, no matter which side you're on, um, I don't think there's a person in this country that would disagree that without people like Ryan, we can't do the things we're doing. I don't have the ability to stand on a platform and shout my sobriety. We don't have a chance to be in here doing CrossFit, working out. We don't have a chance to, to record this podcast episode to continuing spreading the message. Without awesome brothers and sisters that are going out there and risking their life, none of us have the opportunity to do what we're doing. So again, I want to thank you for your service. I want to thank you for your support for this country. Um, if you want to take a couple minutes, whatever you're comfortable with, talk about a little bit about your service, what branch you were, and uh, yeah, then take us right into 2013 when you got home. Will do. Um, so I was a machine gunner in the Marine Corps uh, from 2010 to 2014. Um, I deployed to Afghanistan, um, my first deployment, and then I did what's called a MU, uh, which is basically just a... Uh, large-scale quick reaction force uh, where we float around on naval ships out in the Mediterranean in case anything were to happen uh, or any other troops need support. We're not coming all the way from uh, the U.S. and going to wherever we're needed. We're kind of already halfway there. So um, I got to go all over. I got to go to Spain, Italy, Greece, um, Dubai, France, um, Djibouti, Africa, um, whole bunch of places that now, pause right there real quick if we if we could take military out of it and just talk about life uh just on a positive moment which one of those countries would be the first one you would go back to just to hang out Ooh, that's a really good question um i had a lot of fun in france um but i would probably say um I would probably say israel to be honest um israel was was a really good time they were really uh and welcoming and, and, and inviting. Um, and they, they loved us while we were there. We were there. So yeah, I definitely head back to Israel. Awesome. Well, uh, all of our Israelis, I believe that's the right word we want to use. I'm not the greatest of being politically correct, but, uh, yeah, shout out everybody out there. Um, <laughs> Ryan, Ryan felt super, super loved and felt the warmth and welcome enough that, uh, he definitely wants to make it back there. So, uh, hopefully he'll see you when he's, uh, off the clock and not working, yeah. but, uh, anyway, go ahead get back into it. Yeah. So, um, so we'll get back, you know, we'll get to what we're here for and what the, what the listeners want to, want to know about. Um, so it was on my last deployment on that Mew in 2013, um, when this whole story started to frame itself, um, in terms of, uh, I guess the very beginnings of why sweat for sobriety is even a thing. Um, so in 2013 on my last deployment, um, Contact from home was very limited. Um, we could only get on the internet every now and again. Um, and I was on Facebook one night and my a family member, my aunt randomly hit me up and I was excited to talk to her. I haven't heard from her or spoken to her in, in months and months and months. And unfortunately her, her, the news that she was contacting me to give me was that my brother, Austin, um, had admitted to her that he's addicted to heroin. Um, so needless to say, that kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. Now, real quick, um, I know when we talked about this a little before, so in 2013, I think we lined up the years, you were roughly 23 years old, correct? 23, yep. And your brother's four years younger than you, so you're now getting a call that your 19-year-old brother is openly admitting that he's addicted to mm -hmm. drugs. Uh, 19 years old it, and it and it's, it's sad because this this young man isn't even old enough to get into a bar yet and he is unfortunately dealing with a, a drug that literally ends lives and kills people every day um and the reason i'm highlighting that is because again for all of our listeners um our drugs 
and addiction does not have an age limit. You got to be 21 to go in and purchase alcohol legally. Um, but illegal drugs obviously don't have a limit. They don't care. They don't care what race you are. They don't care what gender you are. They don't care how old you are. They will come into your life and they will fuck shit up. <laughs> so with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and let you get back into your brother's story. But I want this to be clear. You are never too old and you are never too young. This shit can get you. No, that's absolutely right. And um, yeah, so uh, I find this out and it kind of rocks my world because growing up, I had always been my brother's shield, right? I had always kind of taken the brunt or at least try to take the brunt um, in many situations to shield him, protect him from things. And being literally across the world uh, on, on a glorified tin can, you know, Bob in the ocean, it was an overwhelming sense of helplessness and, and knowing what I know now, even if I was sitting right next to him, it would have been a, an overwhelming sense of helplessness. But at the time, you know, I was across the world and I'm finding this out and uh, I'm filled with emotions, right? I'm filled with uh, kind of disbelief, like what? No way. Um, and then, you know, I was also filled with anger. Uh, I was angry at my parents for not telling me and having to have my aunt contact me out of the blue and tell me. Um, and, uh, and I was, you know, scared cause at that time I was very ignorant to, um, different types of drugs and what, um, was, uh, what was out there and how it affected people. I was always an athlete growing up. Um, and so I never really got into any, any drugs because I, I was afraid they were going to affect my, my athletics. So I, um, so I was pretty ignorant when I get this call and I don't really know what it means. And I passed out the chain of command and, you know, they, they, we kind of did what we had to do. Um, so fast forward, when I get back from deployment, this deployment, when, when I got back, it was a different, um, different vibe than when I got back from Afghanistan. Obviously when you get back from a war zone, yeah, like I'm so happy to be home. I can't, you know, can't believe I made it, especially with some of the, you know, situations that we found ourselves in in Afghanistan. But this one was a lot different because it was like a very somber uh, feeling. Cause now I'm like, I'm coming home to this news that I got in a, like a month or two ago. And, um, and now I feel like, well, I need to fix this. And how do I fix this? Um, so, you know, I come home, um, talk to my brother, talk to my parents. And again, this is my first, uh, experience and, and introduction into addiction in terms of like my brother. Right. And, and how long were you deployed before getting home and finding this out? Uh, like five and a half months. So to, to kind of, again, give you guys more retrospect. So we have a 23 year old, you know, let's, let's just call it a, a kid. Mm -hmm. Cause we're, we're, we're adults. We're met at that point, but we all know that at 23 years old, we're still kids. Um, especially men. Cause, uh, we take, we take a while, <laughs> but, um, anyway, at, at 23, you have spent the last five and a half months on foreign soil fighting the war on terrorism to then come home and completely have to skip your honeymoon period, so to speak, and then have to start fighting the war on drugs in your own house. And that that's absolutely terrifying. And it's not, it's not something that a 23 year old should have to deal with, um, let alone the reality, the reality of it actually hitting. Um, cause this is, this is some real shit and, and you see, and you hear about all of the, the drug abuse, especially in, in other countries. And I can only imagine some of the stuff you saw and I don't want to speak for you, but I can only imagine that anything you could see in another country could, could nowhere near compare to just coming home and, and watching your baby brother slowly killing himself. For sure, um, you know it was a it was a different type of of battle, right? Um, and we, you know, like the enemy being foreign and being, you know, and and being literally across the world and kind of removed from home, it's easier to separate um, the two or compartmentalize them. But when you come home and it's you know, the, the fight is right literally in, in your, in your home, in your house and in your family. Um, it, uh, you know, it hits, it hits a little different. So, you know, 
one side of my family um, sh- does struggle on, on a more broad scale with um, addiction and substance abuse. Um, it's kind of, you know, a lot more prevalent in one side of my family than the other. And, um, you know, it was kind of one of these things where it's like you try to break that cycle, um, my brother and I. And, you know, I worked really hard um, to break it for myself, but also to help my brother break it. And when I f- come to find this out, it was almost like a sense of like let down, like, oh man, like he didn't break the cycle. He's falling into, you know, he's falling right back into that, um, like, you know, that other side of my family. So, um, so yeah. So, I mean, I, I come home, I find that out and I find out, I come home and I, I, um, I don't really understand what's going on. Right. I don't understand. Cause I was very ignorant. I was like, just stop. Right. Just, just stop. Like, you know, and I started to get angry. Like, this is a weakness. Like, what are you doing? Just stop. Because at that point, everything I had ever accomplished was because of like my headstrongness and my, my, my will and my, my heart and just like, go, 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 just make it happen. And I just, in my ignorance uh, on the subject, I didn't understand that that wasn't a feasible thing. Now, not to say that personal responsibility of action is not uh, a big part of recovery and, 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 and getting sober and staying sober. But, um, you know, I kind of just thought it was all that. And so it was a long, hard battle in terms of my brother, um, and his addiction. You know, he, he battled for what I came to find out about five years. Um, and so that in that time there was ups and downs. And although I'm not in recovery myself and I don't suffer from, from addiction, um, to substances or, or anything like that, um, there's something that gets thrown around um, with the families from people who, uh, you know, the family members of, of addicts. It's, and when we call it, at least I call it, you know, living the addiction. So um, it's easy in living someone else's addiction because you're not, you're not even, you, you're not using the drug yourself, but you are living the, the residual effects of them using the drugs because you're always waiting for a phone call. Um you know, to see if he, if he or she, you know, wound up dead somewhere or if they're locked up or, you know, whatever the case may be. And the sky's kind of the limit in that regard. You know, you're always waiting on that to happen. And, um, so you start to like not be able to do things yourself. You know, you're spending your money on rehabs for them or, you know, you're sacrificing your time at work so you can be home and kind of babysit them and make sure, um, that they're not, doing things that are harmful for themselves. So I think, and I'm sorry, I I think you really hit the nail on the head right there. And, and something that I, again, I want to highlight for people is again, when, when, when we are actively using and when we are, when we are still struggling before, before we find our path to recovery, um, it, again, it, it's unbelievable how much stress and how much of a toll it takes on our family members. It's, it's really not, just us. And that's why I wanted to get different guests on here, different points of view, um, people who might not necessarily have dealt with the addiction themselves. Because I know it goes back to, I used to talk um, when I first got clean and talking to my mom and my wife were, were two of the biggest ones. And it was just like them telling me that like, it's crazy for them to be able to get a full night's sleep. And I didn't understand what they meant. And that's because when I was out drinking every night, they had to worry, um, you know, is he going to get into a car accident? Is he going to get a DUI? Is he going to be dead? Am I going to? And so like, they could never really get a full night's sleep because anybody who would text them or call in the middle of the night, they always thought it was me and it was going to be that call. And so I never truly understood that until I was sober enough to really talk to them and understand and to see those situations with other people. But I can only imagine um, and it gets right back to you because like, you, you know, you can't, you can't live a completely normal and, and stress-free life. Um, cause you're just, you're, you're scared on what that call is going to be. And I can only imagine your heart probably just like falls in your ass every time your phone even rings at an unnormal hour. Um, so yeah, guys, we are taking a toll on our families. It's not just about us. Um, and which is why it gets back when we continue actively using, um, which is why a lot of people call us selfish because we're not the addiction isn't just on us we're we're pretty much we're making everybody else deal with the addiction 
without them getting the satisfaction of the part that we at least call fun and enjoyable. Um, so it's not cool and we need to stop putting our families through it. And if you are sober right now, you know, find a family member that you ran through the ringer and just give them a hug, tell them you love them and tell them you're sorry. Um, but yeah, go ahead and continue, Ryan. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, and, uh, and please, but at any time, you know, like you've been doing, just interrupt me and, and, and have talking points. I can talk forever and I don't want to get too far in the weeds. So I appreciate you, uh, kind of navigating us here. Um, so, uh, one more thing to touch on that, you know, like I, being a family member of someone who, um, had substance abuse, um, addictions, I, you know, like the enabling word, right. Is such a dirty word, um, because it's such a hard thing to navigate whether you're doing it and whether, whether it's healthy or not for you and also for your loved one or the one that is, you know, um, addicted. So, I feel like, you know, with those that we love who are going through active addiction, you know, we love them. So we want to, we want to help them out as much as possible. But a lot of times when we do that, we, we snuff out their opportunity to, to do it on their own and to really find their own path and, and have the motivation that's going behind becoming sober, that's going to lead to a, a long-term sobriety and not just doing it because we want them to do it. Um, and uh, so I, I, I watched my mom and my dad and my other family members go through that and really that took tolls on them because on one end they didn't want to enable him and they wanted to make him, you know, do it on his own and really have that solid foundation of his sobriety. But also, you know, you, you're afraid that if you don't help him in this moment, you know, you might not get the chance. This might be the last moment that you have to help him. And maybe your help was the deciding factor between life and death for, for them. So, yeah, it does take a really big toll on, on the families. Um, and, um, it really, yeah, it, it's, it's just, it's, uh, it's a very taxing thing for everybody involved, the, the addict and the family. So, um, with that said, so moving on, um, the, my brother had been through, um, I think 16 rehabs um, in his five-year stint of addiction. Um, I mean, everywhere from, um, you know, 28-day inpatient to just um, like seven-day detoxes to um, to a lot of other, you know, forms of – in recovery houses and all, and all that stuff. Um, he had also – overdosed, um, seven times. Um, wow. yeah, he'd, he'd been hit with, uh, with Narcan, um, seven times. And, uh, so, you know, it was a really, really, um, intense thing for, for him, but also for, for us. So I can only imagine that for someone in their mid twenties, someone who is dealing with military, someone who's, you know, really just got a lot on their plate, a lot on their mind. Um, and then everything going on with your baby brother as well. Uh, I can only imagine that they can take a toll on someone mentally. Um, and especially really put a strain on a relationship, um, between two brothers. Do you want to go ahead and talk about, um, how your relationship with your brother, how that impacted your relationship? Is there any really, um, any stories or anything you want to share? Any incidents that really pop up that really kind of talk about the struggle and the darkness and, and really where it can take people? Absolutely. Um, so my brother and I were, you know, four years apart and, um, we had a pretty strong bond. Um, being four years apart, I definitely kind of flew the coop a little earlier than he did, but you know, this was the kid that I literally carried up a mountain when he, his legs were too tired, um, when we were young. Um, so I, I cared deeply for him, but through this addiction and through this, uh, this drug, you know, it really deteriorated our, our, uh, relationship. I never stopped loving him, but I, I had a deep anger and resentment on what it was doing to him and doing to me, but also like seeing it, watching it from the sidelines, 
tear apart my family from the inside out. And I'll never forget one, one, uh, story. One night I was, uh, I was living in an apartment and it was my, my parents' apartment building that they, they have. And I was living in one of the units and behind it was a barn and kind of the mid, the middle ground that my parents were walking was, well, my brother can't live in the houses, but he could stay in the barn. I know that sounds absurd, but he, you know, he, he stayed on, he slept on a, a concrete slab on a couch. He had an extension cord that we ran out to him so he could have a little bit of power. Um, he didn't have any amenities. He would come in and use my house, but it was really, you know, in our ignorance, it was the amount of pressure on him that this is uncomfortable and he doesn't want to do this anymore. And, um, you know, he's really going to try to, to, to be sober. Um, and again, that was all, all on our ignorance, but, um, without totally casting him away and not caring where he lived or, or, or how his life was. So that was a little bit of a middle ground. The only real thing that he had to enjoy himself was a, a little pop-up DVD player, almost like a laptop style that you would, you know, kids watching the car hung from the headrests of the front seats. And, um, my girlfriend at the time had a, you know, a bunch of DVDs and my brother would, would want to borrow some from time to time. And he borrowed one and I had to kind of vouch for him. Like, it'll be fine. My girlfriend's like, I don't really, I really don't want that movie scratch. So, uh, so anyway, he borrows it. Uh, about a week later I go out to the barn and I say goodnight to him and he is, um, super high. Like he is absolutely, um, wasted. And I, that kind of, I already had a long day and that set my, you know, set me off a little bit. And I look down on the, on the concrete floor and I see the movie like fate important side down and I just lost it. And, um, I was relentless and I was a monster to him. Um, and you know, there was many times, um, throughout the months and years that, you know, and I, 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 grudgingly admit this, um, that I did, you know, kind of wish he was dead. So the, so the hurting for him and me and my family would stop, you know, it was almost an inevitability at times that you would think like, this, this is just where it's going to end. Why doesn't it just happen now? Um, or, you, you know, more commonly wish that they, he would get locked up. So at least he's, you know, in one place and, you know, we know where he is. Um, and, but I, I'm going to own, own how I felt at the time. And, you know, there's many times where, where I wished him dead and that's something that I have to live with. Um, but, uh, you know, one of these, not this night in, in, that I'm talking about at the barn with the movie, uh, I was a monster and I, and I let my, my emotions go and, um, I was relentless. I wouldn't leave Austin alone. So, uh, in our argument, I hear a click and I look down, he has a, opened folding knife. Um, and I just kind of went back to my war mode and, and, uh, he even said later that, you know, in my eyes, I was not there. I was, I was just, I was gone. And, uh, you know, I grabbed the knife out of his hand. I choke slammed him and slammed him, you know, slammed down the ground and stabbed the, stabbed the knife in the ground about three inches from his head. Uh, and it was, I had a very sobering moment at this point and I said, I'll, you know, I will fucking kill you. And he just with like total, total, like helplessness in his eyes, he just said, please do, please, please do. And it was just like, I, I got up kind of like shaking. I didn't, I was like, how, how could I do this? And he ran off and it was a big thing. But to answer your question, I mean, it took a huge toll on our relationship. And the reason that I share that with the listeners is because, you know, like there's a very, very dirty side of addiction. You know, there's a very, very dirty side of sobriety, you know, and, and, you know, and sobriety is as awesome and glorious as it is. Um, it's not without its dark moments that led to the sobriety. And I, you know, if, if anyone out there is going through that or has gone through that or any family members that are listening to this, you know, I, uh, anyone who's going through addiction or recovery, you know, I, I encourage you to share this episode with your family members because I can relate to them and hopefully they can relate to me. And if they're going through it, 
just know they're not the only one and it some it can get a lot uglier than what i shared um but uh but it happens and it's it's okay absolutely and and thank you for sharing that story i know that had to be tough that's that's some pretty personal stuff and i will say um the first time i met you actually uh when when we had the recovery meeting after after the workout uh you actually shared that story and i remember thinking we had already decided that you were going to be on the podcast before that we already talked about it but i remember thinking on my way home driving that day i said man that was an intense story. That scary stuff, that was deep. And I said, I wonder if he's going to talk about that on the podcast. And I said, I actually had it in my mind. I said, I'm not even going to ask him to talk about that because that's that's some personal stuff. Um, but because it was your idea to share it, and and I think what's so important about that, and and guys and, and ladies, um, what's really, really important to understand and what I take from that. And to be very clear, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. I'm not licensed in any of this. This is one addict or one, one alcoholics opinion, um, on a public platform. With that being said, what I take from that and why those stories are so important, that isn't a glorification. Um, that isn't one brother who wanted the other brother dead. That isn't one person who wanted to be killed. What that was, what I take that as is a man who is so sick and in so much pain and a brother who is in so much pain from seeing his sick brother. And I think that is a culmination of events and two brothers looking into each other and one seeing his brother dying and the other seeing how much he's hurting his family. And I, I, I think neither one of them wanted Austin dead that night, but I think that there was that few seconds where they probably both agreed that if he wasn't alive, at least he would no longer be in pain. The suffering would be done. Everyone could stop worrying and Austin could be in a better place. Um, and, and it's sad. It's very unfortunate. And again, if that doesn't strike a chord for you, if that's not how you view a situation like that, um, I completely understand. That's just my take as an impartial party. Um, and when I hear these stories, if you could, if you could almost see my face when I'm on these stories, it probably looks like I'm almost not even paying attention or I'm spaced out. But really, every time I interview someone and they tell me one of these quote unquote war stories or they share one of these crazy, crazy things, um, I just kind of go into this moment where I'm genuinely trying to put myself in that situation and almost kind of like a movie or a TV show. I'm trying to like picture watching that exact moment happening to kind of feel the pain, to kind of feel the exact emotions, um, to really try and, cause I want to connect because I, I, I know, I know how this all is and I know these genuine feelings and it's really, really, really scary stuff. And it, it makes me realize like a lot of times when I was actively drinking, I never contemplated suicide. I never wanted to kill myself. But I remember talking about there was a few times where driving home in a snowstorm or a thunderstorm, I thought, you know, I'm never doing anything stupid. But if God said this was the time, if these roads didn't hold up for me, if I swerved off the road, like I'm okay with that um, because I was so sick and I didn't think I could ever stop. Um, but with that being said, unfortunately, not everybody gets gets a chance to continue fighting that fight. Some people unfortunately fight that fight until their very last day. And it's a fight that not everybody wins. Um, unfortunately in this story, uh, that is the case for Austin. Um, so I'm going to hand it back over to Ryan and, uh, Ryan, why don't you tell us about January of 2017 and after that immediately go into, cause I know you took no time took a few months uh, for, for mourning and grieving, but you got right into advocating for the cause, raising awareness, and and just no longer sitting on your ass and and just standing up and doing something about it. So that way other people wouldn't lose their baby brother. Um, so why don't you tell us about January 2017? Yeah, so um, January 22nd, 2017, uh, around 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, I get a call from my mom. Now, I was at... Uh, AutoZone, I, me I remember this like it was yesterday. I was at AutoZone getting some parts for my truck with uh, with my girlfriend at the time. 
and my mom has known to be a little naggy sometimes. I love her, but, uh, you know, as moms can be. So, uh, she calls me and I was like, I don't have time to talk to her right now. I'll, I'll call her later. So I let it go to voicemail. Um, and then as fast as you could hang up and call someone back, she did it three more times. So I was like, all right, you know what? So I, I, hello, like what's, what's going on? And, um, with tears and, you know, tears in her voice and, 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 uh, she says, Ryan, I think your brother's dead. You need to come over here. And I was like, what? Um, as, as shocked as I was, I didn't hesitate. I literally, I was standing in line at AutoZone. I dropped the things that I had in my hand. I just put them up on the counter. It wasn't even my turn. I just put them up on the counter. I said, my girlfriend at the time I said, you know, Lauren, we gotta, we gotta go now. And I mean, driving over to that house from, you know, trap to skip back, it was, uh, kind of like a blur. I mean, I was redlining my truck the entire time. Um, and I just had to get over there, like, in a in a in a hope that I could do something. Um, and so I get to my mom's house, and there's just a sea of first responders. Um, there's firefighters, there's EMTs, there's police officers. Um, I mean, the whole yard and 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 uh, driveways full. And I come screech around the corner, and uh, throw out and park. And I'm like, you know, I'm very, I guess it's because of my training, but I'm very, when I'm in the moment, when the pressure's on, I'm, I'm, I'm in go mode. Um, and it's worked out to me, uh, for me in my favor a lot of times, but I don't really think I just act, um, not recklessly, but I just, I don't take any time to like analyze. I just go. And so I was like, where is he? And, you know, one of the officers said, you know, inside. So I go in and I see my mom in the, in the dining room and, I go over and I kiss her on her forehead and uh, I say, where is he? And she says, he's upstairs um, in what used to be my old bedroom. And uh, so I now I pushed my way through a, you know, a sea of, of people up the stairs and around the corner. And uh, I go in the room and he's being worked on by the, uh, by the EMTs. And they have the machine that, you know, does CPR for you that pumps the chest, you know, compresses the chest. And, and, uh, they have a ventilator doing the, the breathing for them. Um, and, uh, you know, like I'll never forget the, the rocking of his body from the machine that was doing the compressions for him. Um, you know, it was just like gyrating his body. And, uh, I watched for about two minutes and then, uh, a police officer, a state trooper, um, who ended up becoming a, a good friend of mine because of that day, kind of, you know, stood like he stepped in front of my view and looked at me and said, Ryan, you know, you're not needed here. You need your, your mom needs you. Like, there's nothing you can do here. Let these, let these men work. Um, so I went down and he was right. You know, I didn't want to hear it, but he was right. So I went down trying to kind of console my mom. Um, then the EMT came down and asked us if he wanted us to stop or if, if, if we wanted him to stop and I mean, absolutely not, you know, um, and, uh, as hopeless as the, as the effort might be, you don't want to say to stop. Uh, and then a couple minutes later, they, they came down and they said, you know, he's been out for, uh, for 20 minutes since they've been there and that he was out before. Uh, when I say out, I mean unconscious, um, he was out before they even got there. So if he would uh, be revived, any brain function, uh, would be little to, to none. So, um, you know, it was at that moment that they, they declared him, um, you know, dead, dead on arrival. Um, and, uh, yeah. I mean, the next, the next bit of it was just, uh, I j jumped into action. You know, one of the things that I always did as, as growing up is take care and take control and, and, and try to make sure everything's, uh, taken care of so that other people don't have to. So I was, you know, talking to detectives and I was talking to family members. One of the hardest calls I ever had to make was call my father who lives three and a half hours away and tell him that his, that his youngest son had died. Um, and I, you know, I called family and, and, and all that stuff, uh, and kind of 
um, just did everything so my mom didn't have to do that stuff so she could just, uh, you know, be. Um, so then fast forward a little bit, um, you know, the detectives treat at, it as a crime scene, not that there was a really crime committed, but uh, just in, in case that that was the case, they didn't want anything disturbed. So they were doing their thing once they cleared out. Um, I made it my mission and, and in hindsight, I kind of wish I wouldn't have been so aggressive with this part, but, uh, I purged the room. Um, you know, one of my first calls was to, um, a man that I consider my brother, uh, also a Marine older than I am. Um, my buddy, Jason, he, uh, he's just always been, he's just always been there for me as an older brother. Um, being the older brother, I never had someone like that. So he was that guy. And, um, so I called him and him being a Marine, he has a, a very similar mindset as to how to approach traumatic or chaotic situations. So when he showed up, um, you know, he helped me get right to work. We, I ripped all the sheets off the bed, um, threw all his belongings out that weren't, um, important, you know, all his trash and all that stuff. Um, he, uh, it was important to me to, to carry my brother out of the house, kind of, you know, me being a warrior. Um, it was kind of like, uh, let me, let me carry him away from this place one last time as a, uh, as an older brother. So, um, yeah, my buddy Jason helped me carry him out of the house, uh, put him in the bag, uh, put him on the gurney, put him in the van, watch the corner, drive him away. And then after that, we scrubbed the blood off the carpet together. Uh, I just really got got in into it. You know, I just wanted to make sure nothing had to be done uh, by my mom that she wouldn't want to do. Um, so, so it yeah. sounds it sounds like you really just you you really just took over, uh, took lead, and just tried to do everything you yeah. could to help out with the situation and to just pretty much be the big brother. Your dad wasn't <laughs> around. You were just pretty much trying to be the man in the situation, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, that's, that's a lot for anyone to deal with. All right. So before we get into the last part of this episode, um, I know we already did this one time, but, uh, I definitely want to take another few seconds. I want to, I want to do, um, one more moment of silence for Austin. Is it Bayer or Bayer? I'm sorry. Bayer. I'm sorry. Austin Bayer. I want to do one more moment of silence. Um, for all of the still sick and suffering, um, on behalf of Austin Beyer, the, the, the young man who couldn't win his battle, um, while we do this, I want people to sit down and reflect. If you're driving and you can, and you can pause this and pull over, please do. If you're at home, if you're, whatever you're doing, take a few seconds, drop whatever you're doing. If you can pause this and wait and just. Take this few seconds. If you are the person who is still actively using, please take this as a moment to realize what you just heard was a man telling the story of the toughest and hardest moment of his entire life. And if that doesn't hit you, then to to be blunt, you're probably not a human being. Um, but I... I it, it's it's sad and it's scary and it's real. So please take this few seconds with us and and let's just again just honor this the sick and suffering on on Austin's behalf. Thank you. Now again, a lot of the reason that I, I I like to talk about these platforms and really be public, and it's it's really cool that you actually brought up Jason's name because you're talking about the Jason that I met, right? Yes. All right. So a really really cool thing. So Ryan was already working on Sweat for Sobriety. It was already a thing. Stang Fit Odat was already a thing. Uh, the Saturday after Christmas, I believe it was. Um, in be- yeah, in between Christmas and New Year's, that Saturday. Um. I was hanging out and I ran into Jason. Never met Jason before in my life. Um, because I'm so open and public about my platform, it didn't take more than a few minutes for Jason to find out that I was in recovery and that I'm obsessed with running. 
it then followed into him telling me about his buddy who does sweat for sobriety. Um, a really cool CrossFit class followed by a meeting. Uh, within minutes, I had Ryan's phone number. Uh, within minutes of texting Ryan, I receive a call. We then talk about it. This is a Saturday night. Um, the very next day I was here. I had no idea. Neither one of us knew each other the day before. The next day I was here. I was working out with these guys. We were getting in our wad. Um, had a meeting after, and it, it was just like one of the coolest Sundays of my entire life. And hats off to you, man, because you were like, hey, I'd love to know more about you guys, and I'd love to know like what you guys are about. What you, I'm like, listen, man, you, you want to figure out who we are? Why don't you come join us? And I was kind of expecting like, ah, oh, I'm busy, but he showed right up, man. He is dedicated. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like, uh, I, I don't want to. I'm always going to be there. I'm always going to put in the grind. I might have to modify. I might have to do a little bit lighter. I might have to do this and that because, you know, I have an end goal with my running plan. But uh, to to quote my boss, uh, shout out Lee, first person I ever heard say this, and now I say it regularly, but uh, mama ain't raised no bitch. So uh, we keep grinding. We keep pushing through. But it's, it's really cool because it is – you show up at 9 a.m. on a Sunday. You put in the work. And you you get to do a really really uh, a grind out workout, and then afterwards you we have a meeting. Everybody shares. It is not it's not a direct AA or NA. Um, so open it's forum. It, yeah, it's open forum. None of the affiliations. There's no basket being passed around asking for money. Um, there's no prayers. There's no affiliation. And the reason I say that nothing against those platforms, but what I mean is if if those are the reasons that a meeting doesn't work for you. This is not that. The, what this is, is just people sharing. That's it. And it's just people getting things off their chest, whether it's good or it's bad. It's just people sharing their feelings while everyone's sitting there uh, cracking down their protein bars or their protein shakes or whatever because everybody just put in that work. And it, it's it's just – it's an unbelievable experience. It is a phenomenal way to stay sober for two to three hours on a Sunday. And it it's just unbelievable. Um, I think Ryan, what you're doing here with these people is, is just, it, it, I'm, I'm speechless because words can't put it in. Um, so with that being said, I'm going to stop rambling. I gave you the gist of it from a stranger's point of view. Someone has been here two times and is absolutely in love with this place already. Um, but just like staying fit Odat. Uh, sweat for sobriety is Ryan's baby. It is something he's putting into the community for athletes, um, who are dealing with addiction and it we're to, to be completely honest, Ryan and I are doing the same exact thing, um, in a different town with different people. And we're just, just, we're just trying to spread the message. So with that being said, uh, Ryan, why don't you go ahead and give the back version of sweat for sobriety why you started it how you started it what your main goal is i know you're coming up on your one year if you have any events just go ahead and um take this time and immediately follow it up with a uh, plug yourself any partnerships affiliations just go ahead tell the view tell the listeners all about sweat for sobriety how they can find you how they can follow you how they can participate go okay uh thank you so um Sweat for Sobriety uh, was a thing that I came up with um, with one of my old high school teachers. And long story short, you know, we had this conversation. She was one of the only ones that wasn't really like, oh, are you okay? I'm so sorry for you after my brother passed. She was like, okay, well, what now? You know, what do you want to do about it? And, um, you know, through that conversation, I, I was able to kind of connect my passion for fitness and also leading others and helping others and, and helping people get to, you know, where they want to be. Um, and it took a lot of thinking about and kind of like mulling over and, uh, I wanted to do one thing and then change it into a next. And it kind of naturally morphed into, um, what sweat for sobriety is now. Um, so in that fall, that following fall of, uh, the fall of 2017, I went to school for drug and alcohol addiction counseling at Montgomery County community college. Um, and, uh, to, to really learn about more, to learn more about the issue that I wanted to, um, positively affect, um, and to learn about the psychology behind it. I started reading books. One book that I highly, highly recommend, 
um, to everyone out there listening to. If you haven't read it already, it's called uh, Spark by John Rady. Um, it is, uh, it's awesome. It's about, uh, the connection on fitness in the brain and it has, uh, covers everything from education to addiction, um, depression, anxiety, the whole nine. So it's a really, really good breed. It's one of the books that I read that kind of under- made me understand that, Hey, this, this can happen. Um, so, um, in the very beginning, I developed a program, um, to where I, I would go into, uh, drug and alcohol rehab facilities because I wanted to be in a hot spot of, uh, be able to, uh, be surrounded by the, the clientele, if you will, that I, that I wanted and, and needed for swept sobriety. Um, and I thought that rehab facilities were, was the best spot. Um, unfortunately, uh, there's a lot of red tape to get into those places. It's very political. Um, and I've I, been finding that out the hard way. That's for damn sure. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, you know, everyone loves the idea, but the, there's always a boss to consult with and it always takes months and months to get the hold of that boss and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, I've been stood up in meetings and I, you know, the whole night. So I was starting to lose hope on uh, on really getting this up off the ground because I felt like I needed that um, needed that platform or that that inlet of the recovery house or the the um, the rehab facilities to to do so. Um, but then I realized that maybe I don't right. Maybe I just uh, start doing it. And there's a gym not too far from from this area called uh, CrossFit Pottstown Pottstown Athletic Club, and they have a program that they've been doing for years called the resurgence program. So, um, I kind of saw what they were doing, see, saw how they were doing it. Um, and with the help of a very good friend of mine, uh, two very good friends of mine, uh, Ross and Jenny, who are my, uh, the, you know, co-founders for all intents and purposes and, uh, my co-coaches here at Sweat for Sobriety. Um, we began, Sweat for Sobriety, just like, let's just say we're going to do it and see who comes. We both, all three of us, um, do not suffer from, um, addiction to anything, but, um, but we, uh, we all wanted to help, um, for different reasons. Um, each one of us have different reasons. Um, obviously I just told you my story and, and they have their own. Um, but it was a, this common goal that we all had to, to do good in this community and really help raise people up and show them that they can do things that they don't think they can do. Uh, and it first starts off with a really hard workout. When you look at, uh, at the whiteboard and say, I can't do that. Right. But you put in the work and you put in the time and you show up and you do it. And you realize that there's a lot of things that you can do that you think at first sight that you can't do. And through difficult workouts and challenging workouts, um, and, and the camaraderie and the togetherness and the accountability that we all hold each other to, um, you start to realize that there's a lot of things in your life that you think that you can't do that you actually can. Uh, and that's kind of the down and dirty point of sweat for sobriety is to build a community around surprising yourself and telling that little voice in the, in the back of your head, uh, you know, that, that is telling you that you can't do it to fuck off. You know, that's something that I yell in the gym sometimes when I see people struggling, I tell them to tell that little voice in your head to fuck off. Right? You know, it's perfect timing that you say that too. Cause I was just thinking in my head too. And I'm like, I'm trying to figure out a way to segue and say this, but, uh, you know, when you need the motivation and you're grinding and you're tired and you only have a couple hours of sleep or, uh, you know, I say this a lot, poor me, poor me, poor me, poor me a drink. Um, but when you're sitting here and, uh, you're having trouble finding that motivation, um, having Ryan walking around in a sweatsuit saying, get the fuck down, get the fuck up, get this, get that, push it the last two minutes, get back where you are. You know, having someone yelling at you there, um, that's accountability because it's someone who is uh, not working out at that moment. So he's the eye in the sky. He sees everything going on and, uh, he's not going to let you uh, sit there and bullshit, um, just like you can't bullshit your recovery, you have to work your program. Um, you have to do the same thing when you're uh, when you're in here and you're putting in the grind, and you have to work you have to work that program. Um, Absolutely, and it's and it's really important for me to to just throw out there. I don't mean to cut you off, but no. um, you know, we're talking about like a lot of intense stuff, and and first and foremost, you know, my story and everything. It it, it I know it's been pretty um, downtrodden and uh, and depressing through most of it, but all that is is setting a stage. Um, you know, any arrow that flies forward has to be drawn back first, and that's really what that what that story is. It was the that arrow 
uh, of Swift sobriety being drawn back and created the, the tension to throw it forward. Um, but this is really a, a, a success story. You know, my brother's, my brother's legacy among other things is now Swift sobriety is, is, is giving me the motivation to help others who are going through similar things than what he was going through. And that is a success, you know, whether we have one person here or 30 people here, you know, in the gym, it's still a success. And with that said, there is no physical requirement that you need to hit. There's no prerequisite that you need to be able to do X or Y or Z before you can come here. It is come as you are. I don't care if you are a day clean or if you are 10 years clean. I don't care if it is your first workout of your entire life or if you work out every day, three times a day. Um, it's really about getting here, putting in the work, doing it with others, shared suffering, shared success, and and shared accountability. That's what we're about. Absolutely. Um, now we are gonna we're gonna have a little fun. Um, I usually try and end every episode with um uh, just different kinds of cool things. And one thing I want to do here because this had me thinking about uh, the first time I ever tried CrossFit. Um, and I, I saw the whiteboard and and the coach just had all kinds of letters written up and it was just this and that. And I was just like, I felt like I was reading a code and I couldn't <laughs> understand it. So in the meantime, while you were doing this, I just I just Googled uh, CrossFit acronyms and we're just going to have some fun for the next 60 seconds or even less than that, whatever. I'm just going to throw letters at you and you're going to help our listeners and you're going to tell oh, them boy. what these mean. All right. Um, I'm hoping we don't stump you because this yeah, might make you look I, bad. I hope not either. <laughs> All right, we're going to start off with the easy ones. W-O-D. WOD, workout of the day. AMRAP, A-M-R-A-P. So depending on the context, it's either as many reps as possible or as many rounds as possible. Ooh, this even says reps slash rounds. Bonus points for being exact. RX. RX is the prescribed weight uh, or prescribed movement for a workout. We're skipping PR. Everybody in here is a runner. We know what that is. AFAP. AFAP as fast as possible. Yes. Um, so if you're doing a round, you know, one round of, of an exercise, it's as fast as possible. HAP. Heavy as possible. Yeah. Uh, a couple more quick. Some of the popular ones. EMOM. Every minute on the minute. Uh, I think those OHS, are OHS the... overhead squat. Oh, FS, he's just... front squat. He's showing off people. Squat. He's showing off. I'm trying to see. No, if it's, any... uh, it's, it's, it's self-explanatory once you start looking at him. And, and Ooh, here's my least favorite slash favorite, because this is the one that nobody in here does. You don't even need this in your vocabulary, but we're just going to put it out there. DNF. See, he don't even know what that is. He's not even going to say it. I don't know what it is. Did not finish. Oh, yeah, no. You know why you don't know what that is? Because you don't do that. That's you right. don't not finish. Uh, people only know that if they don't not finish. Um, but anyway, this was this was really cool. Uh, I'm about to put you on the spot right here, even mm -hmm. if you weren't prepared to, to share this little story. Um, I also end every episode with um, asking everybody to share an embarrassing story that they can think of. However, I'm not going to let you think of your own. I am going to uh, have you share the really quick um, little skit slash motivation that you told us your little inspiration of recently um, when, when you took a shower recently. Oh, oh so uh, we're going to put you on the spot <laughs> here because this is All Ryan's right. new hey, goal. Man, no shame. No Ryan, shame. Ryan's on a diet and this is why. Listen. All right. So uh, being out of shape is not something I'm used to or not something I do frequently. So. When it happens, it hits me like a ton of bricks. So uh, I'm also all or nothing guy. So if I'm if I'm in the gym every day working out, I'm eating healthy. If I'm not working out every day, I'm eating crap. And that's what happened for the last couple months. And I re recently, about two and a half or three three weeks ago, got out of the shower, looked down, I couldn't see my dick. Uh, so I then decided to commence Operation Find the Dick, which is a massive uh, effort to uh, uh, change my eating style and uh, and get back and get my ass back in the gym. And it's working. Um, I'm finding the dick. So uh... <laughs> I, I would apologize. I would apologize for the language and for making him share that story for inappropriateness. But uh, let's face it. Anybody listening to this podcast uh, most likely your filter is zero. Um, you most likely don't have soft skin and you can handle a funny story. So we won't make it any more inappropriate than that. We'll leave it there. 
Um, but when I heard him share that today, I was just like, oh, yeah, we're definitely putting this on the spot. And I'm saving. I'm so glad I didn't forget to bring that up. Down 12 pounds, baby. Uh, with that being said, congratulations. That's the important part. Um, again, it was a great workout today. It was a great meeting today. I'm really looking forward to uh, to making it out here on these Sundays. This is really, really cool. Um, Sweat for Sobriety is going to be celebrating one year coming up very, very shortly. Um, I know that we talked about this before. Uh, Ryan's going to have events and he's going to have things planned. I will be posting all over the ODAT page as well as on my personal social medias because we're we're all about helping each other out. Um, I've said this since since the beginning. People, if you're not building, you're breaking. And uh, Ryan and I, we're, we're building. We are not standing here. We are not standing complacent. We're spreading a message because we can, because we want to, because we choose to. Um, and, and that's that. So Ryan, I forgot to prep you on this part. The, the little outro we always do, it's going to be a little corny. I throw in some words. I ask you how you're doing it. And then you just say one day at a time. You ready? That's it. All right, Ryan, it was so awesome having you on the episode today. It was so, so cool being here in this 20 degree weather uh freezing off this was awesome and again ryan uh continue to hearing more of your story continue to keep working out at these events continue doing what you're doing brother you're you're an advocate for the community we need more people like you keep spreading the message um everybody out there all of our listeners just make sure you keep staying healthy keep staying fit and ryan tell us how you're doing it one day at a time all right brother thank you very much Thanks again for being on the show today, Ryan. It was awesome getting a chance to do the first live interview for the show. It was really, really exciting. Uh, For all of our listeners out there, if you yourself identify as somebody in the community dealing with addiction and recovery, please check us out on Facebook and join the group at Staying Fit O-D-A-A-T. If you are just a supporter and you are just helping raise awareness and power on the message, then please continue following us on Instagram at stayingfitodat. And also feel free to send any emails with any feedback, uh, any advice, anything. If anybody out there wants to share their story, anything at all, please reach out to stayingfitodat at gmail.com. It is spelled just like the name of the podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out to me directly on Facebook. Search for Miguel Reyes. Until next time, just know that Migs loves you. Everybody out there, continue staying healthy, continue staying fit, and please keep doing this one day at a time.